Hello and welcome to the Canon Cast, a Columbus Blue Jackets podcast on the Fans First Sports Network. I'm your host, PD. I'm the manager over at the Canon at jacketscanon.com. Joined today by the inimitable Eric Steeds, who uh, last time he was on was for the season preview where he was surprisingly optimistic. And the last time we had an episode, the Jackets were sitting at three and two. We were feeling, you know, pretty good about the start of the season. Uh, since that point, they have gone, uh, they've only won one of their last 10 games. They have lost five in a row. Uh, now, two of those were in overtime, but uh, in all five of those losses, they had a, or in the last four games at least, they had a lead at one point at which they blew, including some third period leads. So, Seeds, uh, what has gone wrong for the Blue Jackets here over the last few weeks? What has gone wrong? This is the first meaningful conversation I've had in three days that hasn't involved the words uh, karma is the guy on the Chiefs. Um, I'm now depressed that I have to talk about this dumb hockey team instead of Taylor Swift. Um, What has gone wrong is everything we expected to go wrong at the start of the season. Goaltending's been shaky, especially with Elvis not in net. Um, And the defense hasn't been great. And we, the Jackets cannot score consistently. Everything, it, the basically what we would have considered the worst case scenarios for each unit at the start of the season is kind of what's transpiring right now. And it's, this team is spiraling. There's been some positives in each area. Um, you know, Zach Wierenski's looked pretty good this year. Uh, Adam Fantilli's blossoming into the star we expected him to be. Um, Elvis, especially against the New York Rangers on Sunday, the 12th looked really solid in a game. The jackets were getting just absolutely annihilated in their defensive zone in, but too often this team is finding themselves pinned in the defensive zone, unable to clear the puck with any regularity, unable to relieve pressure defensively by sustaining any consistent offensive zone pressure and it's just leading to fatigue and exhaustion and eventually goals allowed. And that's kind of been the story of the last 10 games. Yeah. And what's really bizarre to me is the defensive structure looked a lot better in the preseason and even in the early part of the season. And it's like, it has regressed a bit, which is baffling to me. And this team is very, inconsistent they will do the right thing for a period or so and then seem to like forget how to play hockey like, and i can't I can't wrap my head around that i think there's a pretty clear answer here this team is four three and three when david yurichek is in the lineup and are bad when he's and they're winless when he's not um when you i realize they have a log jam on defense of stupid contracts yarmo has signed and is now trying to move in a flat cap world with Andrew Peak and Adam Boquist and Jake Bean all under contract, all of whom are net negative players on the ice. But you sent David Yurichek to Cleveland when he's been probably one of your two or three best defensemen on this roster. And you're trying to showcase Bean and Peak, yeah. particularly for trade value, for, for trade reasons, but in, you know, and Adam Boquist obviously apparently has no trade value because he was a healthy scratch for 10 straight games. Um, Andrew Peak was a healthy scratch for 10 before him. And since he's come back in, he's 
been awful on the ice. Frankly, the I mean, if we're just cutting down to brass tacks here, none of those three players have trade value right now. They just they don't have any trade value really above future considerations. Those we are we exist in a flat cap world where um we were we were looking at cap friendly the other day. Unless you retain salary or take a bad contract back, there's like six teams in the NHL who can afford to take on Andrew Peak's contract. And keep in mind, he has two more years after this one on that deal. There's no value there for that player. So, try, yes, I understand Yarmo has a log jam here of players he wants to clear and guys that are keeping David Yurichek out of the lineup. But at some point, you we're, we're into the sunken cost fallacy of you can't keep compounding mistakes on top of mistakes, and you just have to play Juracek. And what makes this... This is kind of the micro this this conversation that we're having here about Yurichek going to Cleveland is and they're playing Jake Bean and Andrew Peak instead is kind of the microcosm of the problems I've had with Yarmo for the last several years. It's you know uh Yurichek plays well plays well enough in the lineup to earn a consistent spot. He's hit the ten games, so uh he's here now. It's just like we're burning a year of his ELC. Like he's played he's played the ten right. games. That's it. Mm-hmm. Then Yarmo apparently pulled him in. This was reported by Aaron Portsline uh, in yeah. Sunday gatherings in the Athletic that he Yarmo pulled him in, and said, "Hey, you're here. Get a permanent place. You're you're gonna you're you're gonna be a permanent NHLer." And then hours later, they send him to Cleveland so they can showcase Andrew Peak or something. Like, what are we doing here? I mean, it's it's yeah. It, it, it was like it was like a week apart, but that's still like yeah. You don't tell the guy you're staying here, and then. And then, and for to replace him for guys that are clearly worse. Like it was one thing where, you know, Yerchek first got called up right away for the second game of the season because Zach Wierenski was hurt. So if it was a thing where, like, oh, Zach Wierenski came back, you're going back down, it's like, oh, okay, because like Zach Wierenski's back. But it's like when Wierenski came back, they're like, Yerchek, you're staying here because you're clearly good enough. Um, but that now you're sending him down and, it, and they had scratched him for a couple games before they sent him down. And that was, bizarre athlete, but like oh maybe like in the moment yeah and, and we can get into maybe why just scratching him could be okay in the short term but then to like just send him down and you know the fact that Portsline was critical of this move i think says a lot because generally he's one to give management benefit of the doubt try to present their perspective but even he was struggling to figure out what the logic is here and, and there's been this dichotomy that people have pointed out where you know, clearly ownership has some maybe expectations or at least a standard that they are holding Yarmo to, you know, and they had indicated in that statement right before the season started where, you know, they said, you know, we're not going to make any more changes at the moment here besides the coaching change, but, you know, and we we're very disappointed with how, with how this happened, but we still have expectations for the season that can be met. And that's, you know, and that was the reason why they were not going to make any more changes at that time, which if you read between the lines, that would seem to suggest like get to the playoffs or at least close to it. And so people are wondering, okay, is Yarmo making these like win now moves versus moves that are best for development? But the irony here is that I don't think that that is necessarily a choice to be made because like who is going to help you more to win now, Andrew Peak or David Yurichek? 
It's right. obviously David Yurchak. Right. One of the things, you know, Yarmo has been saying since even before the whole Babcock debacle, debacle preseason that he thinks this team can be playoff competitive this year. He's been saying that back into the summer of we think we're, you know, closer to competing than not competing, which to my ears says, hey, we're going to we think we can be on the playoff fringe. You can quibble and we have quibbled in the past with like how much we think that's reality. But regardless, that was the baseline expectations set out by this front office in the summer. And then, as you just said, you know, it's reinforced by that statement of the, from the front office of like you guys have to kind of this is kind of like your make or break year this year. Like you guys have to kind of put something together and to intent. Like, I, I understand where you're coming from of like, it, it can, it might behoove you to scratch David Juracek every now and then it's kind of what Anaheim's doing with Leo Carlson. They're right. They're kind of, you know, NBA load managing him of, you know, he'll play 20 minutes a night, but then he might get like a night off here and there. He's not playing back to backs or something. I don't know exactly what their plan is, but they've got some sort of plan where he's playing consistently high minutes most nights when he's in the, when he's in the lineup to scratch your and then send him down to Cleveland, not only kind of stunts his development, cause it's kind of very clear that he belongs on the NHL ice. Like if you watch the games this year, he's performing very well, not only by like the eye test, but like advanced metrics say he's one of our better defenders and to scratch him for Andrew Peak, who or is just he is a he's a complete net negative on the ice. I, we went to the Stars Jackets game on Thursday night, and it is glaring how just how bad at the basic fundamentals of the spot of defenseman Andrew Peak is. He just he's consistently out of position, consistently cannot maintain the puck, and can't can't complete simple passes to clear the zone. And those are things that cost you goals in games that you might be, you might be competitive in. It doesn't serve, it serves no, it doesn't serve the developmental purpose and it doesn't serve the win now purpose. So it's as Dale kind of wrote about in the article that he posted on jacketscannon.com today of, you know, we're kind of rudderless right now. It's like, what's, what's the priority we're doing here? We're, trying to serve two different areas and it's, and neither's working. So pick a lane and go with it. Yeah. And, and it's weird. Some of uh, Pascal Vincent's comments when it comes to, you know, scratching these, you know, young players and, you know, he talks about, you know, that the guys that have, you know, been scratched to get put back in the lineup that like, Hey, you know, they deserve to go back in because they've, done well in practice or whatever, in which there's some, you know, that's reasonable. But then things he said about like Marchenko and Juracek when scratching them is like, well, and he says, well, I'm not sure they deserve to come out. And it's like, well, if you're not sure that they deserve to come out, then like, then they don't deserve out? to come out. Like, don't, don't, don't scratch them then. Like what? Uh, and that's like, you know, and a guy like Kent Johnson, uh, I think, earned those scratches. I think he earned that demotion at Cleveland. He just was not, he was not playing well here at all. And there was stuff for him to work on and he's been playing well in Cleveland, but he's also getting a chance to get bigger minutes to try out at center, things like that. Like that makes sense. But a guy like Marchenko was maybe unlucky on the score sheet to start the season, but it's clear that he was playing well, you know, the goals were going to come. And then once he got back in the lineup after missing two games, 
he had a five game point streak. He, like things clicked. It was just a matter of time there. I don't think you really needed that scratching there. And again, same thing for your check. Now, uh, what do you, what do you think though about that load management idea? So I think for, for Anaheim, it, the idea is to help Carlson adjust to the length of an NHL season and figuring like, okay, it's the 18 year old 82 games is a lot wear and tear and they want him to be fresh down the stretch of the season. So, and I get the impression he's going to play more regularly in the back half of the season, but here in the fall, they're going to sort of partial parcel out those minutes and those games. Um, it's definitely a very new thing for the NHL, you know, in the NBA that load management is more of a, um, something for the veteran players like LeBron James or Steph Curry, these guys that have a lot of postseason mileage and all that in the NBA though, we don't really see that necessarily for rookies, you know? Um, so yeah. Do you think that that is a prudent thing? And do you think that there is value for that, for the jackets to ease their young players in that way? I think it depends situationally and I could frankly see it more for defensemen than I could for forwards. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. I think I think it might be prudent for someone like maybe Yurichek who only to only play like sixty games this year, you know, maybe take back to backs off or something like that. Like that could be prudent for him to kind of help him adjust, but he's also, you know, defense defense is traditionally like the harder position to learn and it's really, really difficult to make that adjustment, especially at the NHL level, even for a prospect of his high caliber. But if he shows that he's doing it around Christmas time, maybe you can ease off that and kind of, you know, start start playing him a little more if he's physically capable of doing it. And frankly, by all indications, it is right now. So, but like for, and this is going to get into another larger point of what's something ailing the Blue Jackets, I wouldn't want them to do something like that for Adam Fantilli. And frankly, Fantilli should be playing more than he is because Mm -hmm. um, to that point, I went to, we went to the stars game on Thursday night. Obviously the Jackets lost five, two. It was a comedy of errors in a number of ways. You know, they, first of all, the lights went out in the arena and they delayed the game for 10 minutes, (laughs) which was hilarious looking up at the rafters and seeing a big AEP banner hanging from the wall. Just perfect, perfect synergy there. But then, you know, we watched that game. We were like five rows off the glass. It was, we, it was easily some of the best seats I've ever had in that arena, but you could see you like watching it up close. You felt every single Adam Fantilli shift. That line was everywhere. He was generating chances. He, his speed on the, on the ice is like standout speed. Like he might be one of the fastest skaters I've seen in a blue jackets uniform. And I thought like walking, like, you know, towards the end of that game, you know, we stayed till the bitter end. Wanted to see as much of it as we could. You know, we're close. Let's enjoy it. My girlfriend loves Jason Robertson. We wanted she wanted to see him score. Eventually, she saw that too. But we looked up at the end of the game, and Adam Fantilli had less than twelve minutes ice time. And we're like, it didn't feel that way. And it is patently absurd that we felt the way we did, and he only played eleven minutes. Like there is there is some sort of disconnect there that that should not happen. And it didn't help that like. The, ne- the next night or two nights later, Leo Carlson played 20 minutes for Anaheim and scored a hat trick. Like, Anna, right. like Fantilli, gen- Fantilli uh, generated a goal that night we were there and rang one off the post that half the arena thought went in. 
he's he was very clearly one of your most dangerous players and that line was the most dangerous on thursday night and they played less than 12 minutes right shouldn't happen that shouldn't happen and it's but it's been a recurring theme for this organization and i don't know if that's a mandate from on high from the front office or if it's just if pascal venson was really the one who was pulling brad larson's strings of this you know we have to ride boone jenner into the ground or whatever (laughs) it is but it just shouldn't happen it's not what competent hockey teams do yeah, I feel like in some of these games that the Fantilli line maybe gets lost a little bit because there have been some periods that, where there have been a number of penalties, especially in close succession. And so that kind of, you know, throws off the rotation a bit. Um, I and mean, I feel like if you sometimes look at the the five-on-five ice time for the various lines, like as it shows up on Natural Stat Trek, that um, it's usually a you know, a pretty small gap. There's not any really massive disparity in the ice time, but there is a case where, you know, yeah, the Fantilli line will be the third or fourth most used despite having the, you know, best possession numbers of the four lines. And when some of these games that are so close or, you know, come down to us giving up a late goal, you know, a few shifts here and there could make a difference, especially for a line that has been, so good at creating and also pretty good at, you know, limiting chances against because they're just a really good puck possession line of, of Fantelli with Marchenko and Voronkov. So, um, you know, for as much as Vincent has said that he wants to, you know, that the players will determine, you know, who plays and how much they play. And, and he's been willing to, you know, bench veterans from time to time. Severson sat for a period, Goudreau sat for a period, you know, after bad turnovers. Um, but yeah, you need to be, be willing to play the young players more in games where they deserve it, you know? And yeah, you know, Fantilli at his age, do we want him to play 20 minutes a night, every night back to backs? No, probably not. That's probably too much wear and tear, but um, you know, he's not built like a 19 year old, you know, he's built like a man. If you didn't, you know, if you didn't have the numbers on the back of the jerseys, I don't think you'd be able to spot that that's the rookie. That's the 19 year old, you know, he looks like his, a man. And to his credit, like physically, I know, I know they didn't actually drop the gloves, but he squared to Truba on Sunday. Yeah. He was like ready to go. And and he, he's thrown some big hits too. He's, he's not afraid to throw hits. He's not afraid to get into it. Um, Yeah. I mean, he's, he's got the, got the whole package there. He's certainly not a finished product and there's going to be ups and downs, but like, if this is his floor, it's really good. And I think his ceiling is really high there. And I think, Vincent wants to ease him in a little bit, but he has, I think, aced every challenge given to him so far. So I want I want them to be a little more uh, ambitious in terms of giving him new things to handle. Give him more power play time. Give him more penalty kill time. Just give him overtime. He should be the first out there in overtime, you know? Yeah, he should be... He- he should be he should be playing in big situations especially if this season is going to go the way it is let him experience situations and make mistakes in a season like this so that he can learn and get better at those for you know when he's his age 20 21 22 seasons like the kid he he's proven himself to me frankly he's proven himself offensively already that the pass he made to Vronkov the other night was disgusting and uh, his his wrister against the Rangers was just absolutely filthy. Like such a quick release, yeah. That's that's disgusting. But 
also to his credit, like he's got some snarl and some physicality to him. Like he's, he's kind of a player, this organization, I mean, talent wise, he's a player. This organization's never really had, including Rick Nash, but he's, he's the type of guy that like this organization's never really had. He's talented, but he's physical enough to hold his own in a scrap or in a tough, like, you know, you think back to a series like the 2016 series against the Penguins where, you know, it was hitting and there was just, you know, it was, you know, physicality and, you know, guys beating each other left and right up and down the ice for 200 feet. Like would have been nice to have someone like Fantilli in that lineup. And I think he can be a guy who can really carry you in a series like that a few, a year or two from now. Like he's, he's physically that close. So it's, I think it's incumbent on the organization, especially as this team has, really struggled out of the gate. I'm sure we're going to get into overall record here shortly, but um, it's incumbent on the organization to kind of take the restrictor plate off of Fantilli and say, instead of easing, instead of easing you in kid, we're just going to kind of give you, you know, maybe not the, maybe not the 12 foot diving well, but we're going to give you the eight, eight lane lap pool and see what you can really do and go from there. Yeah, and then if he struggles with it, you can always pull it back and like, okay, we're going to put you back to third line minutes and all that, and shelter the deployment. Like that's that's fine, but like, yeah, let's let's see what he can do because he seems to be up to the task. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the record there, and you had brought up uh, something over the weekend uh, that honestly took me by surprise in terms of comparing the records of this season to this point last season. So the Jackets are four, seven and four. So that's 12 points in 15 games through 15 games. Last season, they were five, nine and one for 11 points. So just a point better than they were last season. At this point, last season, it already felt like a disaster. Um, And yet to me, it feels like this season though is still miles ahead of where we were last season. Uh, I think one reason is true. By this point last season, we had lost a lot of guys for the year already. Uh, Wierenski, Voracek, Danforth, Bean, those guys were all done for the season. And so it was just starting. And there were, you know, Lina had been injured. Corrali had been injured. Like this stuff had been starting to spiral. So there was that kind of dark cloud hanging. Like help is not coming. This is going to be a rough run of it. Uh, there were also more, a lot more blowouts, a lot more games that were being lost by two, three, four goals, more shutouts, things like that. Whereas, you know, this team has at least been losing close and some of those losses hurt because they were ones that where we had a lead. These were winnable games and we coughed them up, but at least they're competitive. And there have been games where they've been in an early hole and have come back and have taken the lead and then they've blown the lead. But at least, you know, I was, I was recapping that Florida game on Monday where they were down three, nothing like six minutes into the game. And I thought it was going to be like that Buffalo game last year, you know, where it was just a, a laughing stock of a game, but they got two back by the end of the first period and they tied it up in the second and they took a lead in the third, you know, and that says a lot to me. Last year's team felt more quitty. Like at the first sign of adversity in the game, they would just collapse. And this team doesn't have that. Now this team can't hold on to a lead but they can at least battle back, which, so I take that as a sign of encouragement. How, how are you compared? How would you compare this season's team 
to last season's team at this point uh, in terms of better, worse, different? How, how do you see that? So first I want to shout out um, – that wasn't my stat that I found, you know, that we have one fewer win on the board than um, we did at this time last year. That was uh dark and stormy shout out one of our subscribers on jacketscanon.com of uh, he had DM me that on Twitter, which I'm sure you guys can imagine our uh, DMS on Twitter are a place of joy and happiness every single day. <laughs> um, they're, they're, they're just rainbows and sh- sunshine and puppies. So um but I guess I'm going to make a poor analogy to make a point here. Last last year's team felt extremely quitty. It did help or did didn't do them any favors that, as you said, they were so beat up. Like, you know, they had already, you know, at this time, it was roughly this time last year, they lost Warrenski for the season. You know, they were already missing line A. Corrali had missed time. Um, they just were beat up defensively. And, you know, this year, obviously we lost Patrick Liney for a couple weeks. We lost Zach Wierenski for five games or so, but those guys came back this season. We've already got them both back in the lineup. So that obviously helps. Um, my bad analogy that I want to make here is this last year's team felt like an abject disaster. Like it was, it was like, there's nothing to be gleaned from November 10th on unless we get a top two pick in the NHL or in the NHL draft Um, this year, it feels like one, there's still goals attainable while I, I frankly don't think this team is going to be like a playoff competitive team. Just frankly, just from the realistic point of their 16th in the East, they've got too much ground to make up and too many teams to jump ahead of. And it's already hard enough to make up ground in this league, but they've already got things they can, you know, focus on for the rest of the year. You know, you've got Eurocheck's development, You've got um, Fantelli's development. You've got Ken Johnson's development. You've got Cole Cylinder's development. That's four things you can focus on in addition to trading whatever expiring contracts you have for assets for the future. Um, all That being said, this year's team feels very similar to the Ohio State football team's offense, if this makes sense. Now, here's, as I said, it's going to be a bad analogy, but hang with me here. This team is okay as long as they don't shoot themselves in the foot. And it's like Ohio State's offense is very clunky if they're not like in sync, but when they're in sync, it looks pretty good. Like if they're not making catastrophic errors, you know, they're not turning the puck over on the blue line. They're not getting hemmed in because they can't clear a puck or they keep icing it. If they can actually like play a transition game and set up in the offensive zone, they've got some talent to make some teams sweat or they can, you know, make a three goal comeback into a four, three lead. Like they have that in them. It's just, can they get out of their own way and eliminate mistakes enough to do it consistently? And that's kind of where it's on coaching to say, okay, we're screwing these simple things up. Can we fix this? And I know it's hard to fix systems and, it's hard to fix things in season because you have such limited practice time, but you know, there's going to be a lot of film study that needs to happen. There's going to be a lot of, you know, drills and practice of, you know, can we, you know, we're right there from something clicking. Can we get over the hump? Because they've already eliminated the quitty aspect. Like last year's team would have probably folded it already. They would have, probably gotten blown out by the Panthers. The Rangers would have probably decimated this team after how 
or they would have scored four goals in the third period yesterday. That didn't happen. So you've already fixed a key problem in on this team and its mindset. And now it's, can you fix the little things? Can you eliminate the catastrophic big mistakes against that harm yourself to put yourself in better positions to win? I think it's on the table, but they need to do it. Yeah. You mentioned system and I do feel like, I think there is a good system in place yet in place. I just don't think the players have mastered it yet. And that's where a lot of the inconsistency comes from. And yet you can't necessarily change things a lot in practice, but I think in practice they can get continue to get comfortable in the system. I also think that um, if we can maybe get some line chemistry, there's been a lot of shuffling for a lot of different reasons. And I sort of don't mind that in the early season because there's just a lot of new faces and, all right, let's try some different things, see what works, especially with line A out, because I think they had a lot of plans for how this offense would look with line A and with him out that they had to kind of mix and match and plug in different things. But if we can settle into some combos, uh, I think we can grow from there. I mean, like, you know, yeah, Fantilli with Marchenko and Voronkov looks just, really good. I was if just going to say, yeah, you've, you've already found a bona fide second line in the NHL. Like, yeah. Like Voronkov, Voronkov Marchenko, Fantilli – is a really high performing line. Like I want to, I want to make sure I get this right. Cause so, because hat tip to uh, fellow cannon writer, Dale, um, the player who is second in the NHL in points per 60 at five on five, it's Dmitry Voronkov. Yeah. Like, he's having an incredible start to his NHL career. Like he, every bit looks the part of this guy should probably remain in the lineup the rest of the season. Yeah. Yeah. He, he is a dude. Um, you know, good, good with the puck, but also just a huge physical presence can shield the net. Um, and, you know, and I like the fourth line. If you have, if you're in a position of being able to play Alexander Texier and Justin Danforth on the fourth line, that makes a really good fourth line. Cause those are guys that can play up the lineup if necessary. But if they're on the fourth line, like that is ideal. And that makes the fourth line a threat to score when they get the puck out. And those guys are better and moving the puck out than other fourth line wiggers we've had in the past, like an Eric Robinson or Liam Foodie or whatever. Um, yeah. So, uh, so again, I think with some chemistry with line a back now, they can just, you know, get better at the system that they have, but when the system's working, they are doing a good job of getting the puck out with control, you know, even when they're getting hemmed in, but they're not doing the thing of just, Oh, we're just going to blindly chip, the puck out, you know, happens a couple times, you know, Provorov had a really bad one, but generally they're getting, they're skating the puck out or they're passing with control. Um, the offensive cycle leaves a lot to be desired. They're not getting it into the slot like they did in preseason. And that, and that is baffling quite there. Not that works. Do that more. So I think they just maybe need to get comfortable doing that. Um, but for your analogy, so, uh, Fantilli would be like the Marvin Harrison in terms of like, this is your cheat code player. Get him the puck. He'll do the thing. Boone Jenner would be the Kyle McCord where ultimately like the numbers are going to look good, but there's some plays where it's like, not nah, that th this isn't it, that this, this should not be the guy leading this team. Like this is not what we're yeah. used to, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. I, I think that there are there are solid building blocks there. Like we 
there you can see you know even even on some mistakes that are that happen you can see where the intent is like like the the jackets had an icing the other day that was like you, you know they'd been hemmed in the defensive zone and Gaudreau iced the puck and you know there was a lot of grumbling on Twitter of like oh what's Johnny doing icing blah blah but if you watch the replay he missed a pass by six inches that if, if he'd connected, he's got Cole Cylinder on a breakaway. Like, and that, and that's just those guys read and react and seeing, seeing something up the ice. It's, it's right there. They just need to put it all together and have the, like, as you said, have the consistency and have the chemistry of working together. And if they can stay healthy and really refine and, you know, figure each other out, I think this team can, I think this team can do some things and this, and it obviously goes back to, you know, proper deployment. You know, we can't, thankfully, thankfully on Sunday, we finally saw the end of the Gaudreau-Jenner experiment because we've been clamoring for that for weeks at this point. And to his credit, on in the first game without being coupled to Boone Jenner, Gaudreau led all Blue Jackets skaters in all situations in expected goals for percentage. Like, that's... That's more of the player we're accustomed to seeing, and now he just needs to get the puck luck to follow. But if we can, you know, we're, that's the first step in getting Johnny out of this slump and getting him back to the player that we expected when we signed him. So I think, I to so to answer your broader question of, you know, how does this team compare to last year's team? I think this team is a lot better. I think this team is a lot more consistent. I think they have an opportunity to... I think this team more than teams we've seen for the last few years has the opportunity or they have the ability to remember the one year when this team went on like a, I don't remember what it was, but it was like a 13, two and two run to end the regular season. Yeah. I, could, I could see that in the cards of this club of like, sure. They just put it all together. And Adam Fantelli takes that step and becomes that guy. Like that is in the cards for this team. They are, they are close. There's just, Mm-hmm. things to clean up. And if it clicks, it's going to click. Now I'm not saying they're going to be a hundred points and they're going to play at a hundred point pace the rest of the way, no, no. but, but it can look better and they can re- like, if you told me in December or so they play, you know, they go on a road trip and win four or five and then come home and win two straight. So they've won six of seven. Like yeah. that's in the cards. I can see that. Sure. happening. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I, I think, I think you're right about that. So uh, coming up this week, it's a another busy week for them. Uh, two home games, Pittsburgh on Tuesday, Arizona on Thursday, and then a weekend back-to-back at the Capitals, at the Flyers. Uh, any predictions for how this week can unfold, what the record can be? They could go 4-0. They could go 0-4 on this. Like it's, it's, it's in the cards. Like obviously the penguins are the penguins, but they're struggling this year. Like they're not very good. Eric Carlson has kind of looked lost to start this season. He, according to, um, Oh, I forget who some, according to one defensive model, he's finally above the zero, the zeroth percentile in, uh, uh, defense in the NHL. (laughs) He's, he's up to 1%, so he's in the first percentile, so he's better than, you know, like three players in the league. Um, it's It's been rough for the Penguins. I would, ex- if I'm going, because this is the NHL, I would expect the Jackets to probably just go two and two, but 
I think they could. I think it's not reasonable. It's not unreasonable to expect they go three and one. Um, Arizona's been impressed. They've impressed to start the season in that they're not bottom three in the Western Conference. They're actually last time I checked, they were holding down a playoff spot in the in the West. Um, but the Penguins aren't very good. They're not in the playoff spot right now. Washington is struggling immensely, and the Flyers have really fallen off from the team that beat the Jackets on uh, opening night. So I'm officially going to go on record and say they go three and one in these next four, and they lose to we'll say the Penguins. Okay, I can see that. I yeah, the Capitals and Flyers are both teams that have beaten us already, but it does feel like those are teams that should be on our level. I mean, obviously the the Capitals are a team that is on the downward path and we should be on the upward and the Flyers are maybe trending upward, but they're starting below where we are. Uh, but yeah, we should be able to get those. Um, just given how we've been going, I think a realistic thing to expect would be one, one and two, <laughs> because this team seems to be drawn to some overtime games and some close ones. Uh, I really want to beat Pittsburgh because, well, we hate Pittsburgh. Um, I'll be at the Coyotes game. So it'd be nice to be able to win that one. Um, but yeah, I, considering the last time the Coyotes came here, they jumped out to a five nothing lead, and that that's when I knew last season was like, yeah, that's when alarm bells were ringing. So for sure, yeah, that was like right before the Finland trip too, and yeah. So yeah, I, I just I they need to get a win because I think they just need to stop this streak, and you know they've been close, they've been really close. They were eleven seconds away from a regulation win against the Rangers, you know, in Madison Square Garden. So. They're close, but yeah, I think they need to snap through and it just gains some confidence. And a guy like Goudreau, I think, just needs some more confidence. And once these things start, the puck starts going in, and I think that can reinforce that, yeah, this is the way to play, uh, and they can go from there. Before uh, we go, yeah, how many goals do you think Alex Ovechkin has this year? Oh, I know he started out with a unusual drought for him. I'm going to guess he's got four. Yep, he has four goals in thirteen Ooh. games to start this season. So his uh his falling off the pace to, a bit. <laughs> his, his pace to catch Wayne Gretzky has slowed considerably this season. Uh, very interesting. Yeah, there's he's not getting a lot of help on that uh, on that roster. That's for sure. So uh, that'll be an interesting to watch on on Saturday. Uh, Ovi is always appointment television though. Still, so before we go, I guess we should just mention uh, Jack Roslovic broke his ankle and is out four to six weeks. Yeah, and that sucks. Uh, hopefully, a uh, quick recovery for him because uh, he'd been he'd been playing pretty well. Uh, you know, he was started out on the fourth line. He got scratched at one point, but to his credit, he seemed to take that to heart. And then, you know, when lining went down, he was able to step up into a top six role. Uh, he definitely seems to be more comfortable back on the wing than he ever was at center, and uh, and that was good to see. And uh, again, I. I don't think there's a future for him here, just given who else that we already have under longer contract and team control and things like that. Um, but hopefully he can come back and continue playing well and get a good return and, and end up in a situation, maybe on a team that's more in win now mode and that he can help out. So um, yeah, frustrating that, uh, that he got hurt. Uh, silver lining that your check is able to get called up to come back uh, in that roster spot. Um, but yeah, that's uh, that's a shame. That's you know, you hate to see a guy like that get hurt. Yeah, absolutely. Best wishes to him and his recovery, and hopefully he can come back and 
keep up the pace he's been on the last few weeks. Yep. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, We always appreciate that, and we will catch you next time. For more content from the canon, check out jacketscanon.com or follow us on Twitter at cbjcanon. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and rate us wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howlin' Moons. Angela's new album, Turn Me Loose, is out now. Go to angelaperley.com for more music and show dates.